Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What day it is. Half Hump Day. Good morning, everyone. Happy Hump Day. It's a great Wednesday in St. Louis. It's Carriker and Smallman. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker with you at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, it is a great, great, great day in America. How you doing? Why is it a great, great, great day in America, Randy? And well, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Michelle, not only is it hump day, but last <laughs> night, Ozzy Albies gave us all a free taco on November 4th, and he did it in the first inning of the World Series. Somebody steals a base. America steals a Doritos Los Tocos taco on <laughs> November 4th. We all get free tacos on November 4th. I thought you were going to tell me it's a great day because it's the anniversary of the 10-year anniversary of 2011 World Series Game 6, which automatically makes it a great day in St. Louis because we get to relive the memories of that unbelievable game. It was a phenomenal night, unforgettable for every St. Louis baseball fan and a lot of people that are just casual fans in St. Louis. And later on at 8 o'clock, we want to hear where you were, what you were doing, what's in your mind's eye from David Freeze hitting that home run it was an unbelievable night in st louis and as we've talked about before michelle it kind of rendered game seven anticlimactic because that's what we all remember and you mentioned it a couple of days ago maybe it was yeah i guess it was a couple days ago the fact that the albert pujols three home run game is just a footnote in that world series that's how big game six's home run by david freeze was Game six was so dramatic and it was so intense. Think about that, that you don't remember really a three home run game by one of the greatest baseball players we'll ever see in our lifetime. And you don't really remember a lot of the details and the nuance from the game that actually won you the World Series in game seven. I think a lot of people will always remember Alan Craig catching the ball. Um, But game six, sometimes I think about this, Randy, especially during the pandemic, we revisited that game a lot. Do you think it's awesome or sad that most people in St. Louis have had their peak, their sports peak? Because even though the Blues won and we had the Pat Maroon game and that was unreal and such a fun roller coaster, do you think any game could ever possibly beat Game 6? No, and I think it's awesome because we can talk about it 10 years later. If you're in Cincinnati, you aren't having this conversation. If you're in Pittsburgh, you aren't having this conversation. The fact that here in St. Louis, we got to experience that game and that World Series, and really the Tony La Russa era, the fact mm-hmm. that we got to experience one of the great runs in hockey history with the Blues winning the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago, the fact that we got to 
to experience the greatest offense in the history of the National Football League. We have been a pretty fortunate fan base here in St. Louis. And I say this to people because I obviously, pretty clear, wanted the Rams to stay in St. Louis. But reflecting now, six years later, it never would have gotten better for us than the greatest show on turf. No fan base will ever see a better offense than that. And because of rules changes, nobody will ever see football like that again. So while we did lose our football team, we had the best. We had the best in football. We had the most exciting and the best in baseball. And everybody we talked to says Game 6 was the best World Series game and the best game they've ever seen, right? And then the Blues run a couple of years ago. We've had pretty darn good, haven't we? We're spoiled. We know it, but we are. We're yeah. spoiled. We're so spoiled. And <laughs> that'll lead us to our headlines of the day because we've been spoiled by a 5-0 and start for the Blues. And yesterday we learned that the captain, Ryan O'Reilly, has come down with COVID-19. He has been placed on the COVID-19 uh, non-roster list. Here is the head coach, Craig Berube. Yeah, it's a well. Yeah, it's a challenge. I think that uh, you know we 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 have good depth here, and you know everybody's going to have to step up and the next guy up, um, kind of attitude, and go from there. You know, really, uh, you can't overthink it, and it is what it is. And the best way to deal with it is to move on and. Um, wait for these guys to get healthy and get back but in the meantime go play hockey and michelle every single blues player is vaccinated but as our blues insider from the athletic writes in the athletic jeremy rutherford says o'reilly will miss at least 10 days according to Bruby, which likely means he has symptoms if he were asymptomatic it could be a false positive or even a confirmed positive and he could be released from isolation after two negative tests 24 hours apart but the fact that the blues are already counting him out for 10 days seems to be confirmation of symptoms does this concern you because it does concern me to not have Ryan O'Reilly well out there not having him blues? for 10 days but then having him be symptomatic because we've seen some players I, I'm not so sure Paul DeYoung ever bounced back from COVID-19 I don't think mm -hmm. Lane Thomas ever bounced back from having symptoms of COVID-19 the likelihood is is that he'll come back and be the Ryan O'Reilly we know and love but this hits different people different ways Yes, that is true. And it is concerning. You you hope first and foremost that his health is okay. And hopefully because he is vaccinated that he he won't have as difficult of a recovery period as he might not have otherwise. But yeah, we know a lot of people that have been vaccinated and got COVID and still been hit very hard by the symptoms and had a long recovery period. And the Blues need Ryan O'Reilly. 10 days and that's roughly four games that they're going to miss without him. They need him, but I was reading Jeremy Rutherford's piece this morning in The Athletic, Randy, and I knew that Ryan O'Reilly was the model of consistency with the Blues, but I hadn't quite realized it. It's more glaring when you read it in black and white that since he was acquired from the trade with Buffalo in 2018, Ryan O'Reilly has appeared in every single game the Blues have played. That's 214 regular season games and 39 playoff games. It's the most regular season game games of any player in the organization in that stretch and tied for the most playoff games. And Michelle, I don't know because we weren't at the bubble. No media was watching practice and we didn't go to practice last year. But I do know that as of the shutdown for the pandemic in March of 2020, 
Ryan O'Reilly had not missed a practice with the Blues. Not only had he not missed a game, he had not missed a practice. Now, that may have changed last year, but I don't think it has. I think that yesterday was the first time he's missed a practice. So, Craig Berube, how long will O'Reilly and Brandon Saad also placed on that list be out? You know, O'Reilly's out at least 10 days, I believe. I'm just not sure on Saad yet when he's when he's um, back. So, it's, it's getting close, though. And Saad has been backdated with his placement on the 10-day COVID list. So, Michelle, the Blues could play the next two games without Brandon Saad tomorrow night against Colorado, Saturday night against the Blackhawks, and then he could be back for the West Coast trip. And O'Reilly, obviously, will miss the West Coast trip. And not only are you going to miss Ryan O'Reilly because of what he does on an, on an individual basis, but we spoke to David Perron yesterday, and he illustrated to us how important Ryan O'Reilly has been to his success. And David Perron obviously off to another great start this season. So I imagine with the line shakeup, you maybe might see Braden Shen or, or Jordan Cairo up on that top line. But I just think about the ripple effects of this and how other players' performances might be impacted as well with Ryan O'Reilly not on the ice. Yeah, and we have the Blues and Avalanche for you tomorrow night, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. We have Game 2 of the World Series tonight here on your home of the World Series, 101 ESPN. First pitch is 7.09 after the Atlanta Braves won Game 1 last night, 6-2. On the second pitch of the game, Jorge Soler took a sinker from Framber Valdez, and John Smoltz said that Valdez needed to get that pitch from home plate umpire Chris Conroy, who called it a ball. Valdez came back with another sinker a little higher in the zone. And now the 2-0 and a swing and a ball hit to deep left field, and Atlanta strikes early. Solaire lines a rocket into the Crawford boxes, and three pitches into game one of the World Series, the Braves have a 1-0 lead. The great Dan Schulman to call on ESPN Radio. Still in the first, Freddie Freeman grounded out. Ozzie Albee singled and with Austin Riley at the plate. As we mentioned, Albies gave everybody in America a free taco on November 4th. And then... <laughs> that isn't the case. Here is Riley with a ball into left center field. It's going to make it 2-0. Cut off by McCormick, but it's an RBI double. And the Braves have come up flying here in game one. That's the great Joe Buck on Fox. 2-0 after an inning, 3-0 in the third when Adam Duvall stepped in with a runner aboard to put this one away. An extremely important pitch, obviously. It goes without saying. Every pitcher's fastball is important, and that's one of the reasons why Valdez gets so many ground balls. Now this one is smoked to left, and it's gone! Adam Duvall sent that one into the Crawford boxes in a heartbeat. And Atlanta touches up Valdez again, and the Braves are now out in front 5 to nothing. And that pretty much did it. 6-2, Michelle, was the final. Perhaps the most important part of this game, though, Braves starter Charlie Morton took a one-hopper off of his shin on a comebacker from Yuli Gurriel in the top of the second, or the bottom of the second, rather. He finished that inning, then came out to strike out Altuve in the third. Then he was removed, and as it turns out, he has a broken leg, the exact same thing that happened to Bob Gibson when Roberto Clemente hit a one-hopper back to him in 1967. Morton is out for the World Series. He would have started Game 5. He's their big game pitcher. And even if he would have pitched Game 5, Michelle, I'm sure, like he was for Houston in 2017 or Tampa last year, he would have been available out of the bullpen in the last couple of games. I think this is a massive loss for Atlanta. 
It is, and I can't believe, Randy, that he threw 16 pitches off, pushing off the mound with a broken leg. That's insane. But hasn't this kind of been the M.O. for Atlanta, that if it's Ronald Acuna Jr. or, or Soroka, that they've been able to bounce back despite injuries, or even when Soler tested positive for COVID and was out for a bit down the stretch, or in the playoffs, rather. It just seems like they're able to overcome whatever injuries to what whichever players come their way, but the loss of Morton is huge for them. Yeah, and 6-2 was the final in the opener. One other note for you. Last night, the first exhibition game for SLU, they doubled up Rockhurst 84-42, but Michelle, speaking of injuries, last year's leading scorer, Javadi Perkins, suffered a knee injury late in the first half and didn't return. He left Chaffetz on crutches and will undergo testing this morning, and best wishes for Javadi Perkins that this is not a serious injury. No, sending good vibes his way. Absolutely. Later in the show, we are going to talk to Josh Whitman. He is the athletic director of Michelle's Fighting Illini, and they had some big news uh, that they're going to provide with uh, for us this morning. Talk to Bernie Federico at 8.30, and then in the 9 o'clock hour, we've got a guest-laden hour. Our friend Danny Wexelman of MLB Network Radio. Jennifer Langosh is going to talk about the new Cardinals skipper, uh, Oliver Varmal, and Connor Wood, Mizzou offensive lineman, will join us as well. Next up, though, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 as we will provide you with some wisdom. Ask Uncle Randy is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We always like to hear from you as we head into November 2021, Michelle and Randy. And I've, I've got some answers for people, Michelle. I, I feel pretty good about it because it's I have been very consistent in providing wisdom for the masses. And so I need people to text in 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Any question you have about life, maybe you've got a little fall romance that's brewing and uh, blooming and, and you need to know how to advance that romance. Maybe Maybe uh, you want to ask about the best way to insulate yourself for the cold weather. Anything as simple or as complicated as you have, bring it and I'll try to answer it for you. All right, Michelle, take it away. Question number one, Randy from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, I hate the cheating Houston Astros, but I would kind of like to see Dusty Baker win a World Series as a manager. Is that wrong? I have the same issues as you. And here's the way I've rationalized it for myself. Those cheaters already have rings. They've, they've already won. They've already got the piece of metal in their building. So, yes, you can root for Dusty Baker to get a ring because the guys that cheated, the, the Bregmans and Correas and Altuves and Guriels of the world, we aren't going to be able to take away their rings. So we might as well try to get a good person. And Dusty Baker is a good person. I, I don't have any trouble getting him a ring. And oh, by the way, if he doesn't win, I'll feel bad about it. But if Brian Snitker gets a ring, I won't feel bad either. I'll tell you what, I think it's notable that you've got a 45-year organizational guy with the Braves and Brian Snitker managing, 66 years old, was not built on analytics. And you've got Dusty Baker on the other side, not built on analytics. Those are guys that use the numbers as a tool and they aren't that they guide the narrative with the numbers they don't allow the numbers to guide the narrative and i think that's the best way to utilize the numbers that all the numbers and information that these teams have 
From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, my 10-year-old son wants to contribute to the show and is wondering what you do when you get rejected by a girl. Okay, I think that's a good one. And this is something that a lot of guys, we don't learn for a long time. Rejection is not a bad thing, all right? What you have to do is understand that you are the catch. You are valuable. And if you move, you're 10 years old, and there, there's a dance or something at school, and you want to ask a girl and one says no, what you have to do is find the next one. There's a million girls out there. And keep this in mind, and this is not a 100 percenter, but it's maybe an 80, 85 percenter. Uh, Halle Berry has been married three times. For every beautiful woman out there in the world, there are guys that don't want anything to do with them. All right. So keep that in mind as you go through life and you do get rejected. Wait until you find the one that you want to have something to do with. Don't don't be taken in by just one. There's a lot of fish in that sea, young man. Great advice. Also, it's a hard fact of life that you're not going to be for everybody. So you're never going to get 100% approval rating in life. Rejection, whether it's in your career or from someone that you're interested in romantically, it's going to happen. It's a guarantee that it's going to happen. And once you can realize, especially at a young age, that if someone rejects you, they're just not meant for you. And keep it moving. And to your point, Randy, that there's other people out there, the better off you're going to be. And more than 50% of the time, if you ask somebody out, they're going to say yes. So just keep that in mind. Deal with the rejection, but know that the next time the likelihood is, is that girl will say yes. And by the way, when you get old enough to go to prom and homecoming, don't be reluctant to ask. And Michelle, I want you to weigh in on this because I think that there are a lot of girls, you probably had a lot of friends that never do get asked because of reluctant guys. Yeah. And if someone turns you down or they already have a date, you shot your shot. Shoot yep. or shoot. Go for it. Yeah. You would, I always tell people you're going to regret it more if you don't go and ask someone out or you don't put your feelings on the table than you would preserving your feelings and your ego and always wondering. So right. just go for it. Yeah. So, Good question, young man. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, all right, Uncle Randy from the 314. Deer season is coming up. It's four hours away. My wife hates me going because we have two young kids. My take is it's only two weekends of the year. What are your thoughts? All right. Happy wife, happy life. And while it is just two weekends of the year, there's a chance that you won't get a deer. I will say this. As somebody who worked at night during much of my kids' childhoods, and my kids are 27 and 23 now, you don't get that time with your kids back. And if you go out deer hunting, it's great to be with the guys, it's great to do what your hobby is, but my concern is, because I lived it, you don't get those weekends with your kids back. I, I am one of those who believes, because I didn't do it enough, that you should spend as much time with your kids as possible. And I say that from experience. I am so jealous of Danny Mac that he spends so much time with his kids and that they're going to have those great memories uh, throughout the course. And by the way, he, he does baseball for six months a year, but he makes a greater effort than I did to spend time with his kids. And I'm jealous of everybody who makes a better effort than I did to spend more time with their kids. And I don't know how deer season works. I don't know if you have to go two weekends, but could you compromise with your wife and instead of going two weekends away, maybe just go one? 
Yeah, that's a possibility. That's uh, 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 my thing would be. Yeah, it's four hours away. Maybe yeah, just do one weekend. And I know there's guys golf trips and stuff like that. So deer hunting season wouldn't be any different than that. But. My number one concern is uh, the kids. And if, if she has things that those kids have to do and you, she's got to take one to a soccer game and you have to take one to dance again, it's uh, be responsible to her. That's part of the deal you made when you got married and had kids. Next one from the 618. Dear Uncle Randy, I don't know how I should feel about Vladimir Tarasenko. He's playing well, so I want to cheer for him. But I also don't want to cheer for someone who doesn't want to be here in St. Louis. How do I approach this? You're... Let me put it how I put it. My focus is on the Blues. My focus is on the crest of the Blues. And whoever is playing for the Blues, whether they want to be here or not, I want to see that team succeed. I want Vladimir Tarasenko to do everything he can to help the Blues be a better team. And then at some point, it leads to him not being here. So be it. There will be a lot of guys that want to play for the Blues. But... Ultimately, I just want the team to succeed. And if his success leads to that, then it'll be better. And by the way, if he is and Jr. reported that he is dug in on his trade request, if he's dug in, the more he scores and the more he helps the team, the more valuable of a commodity he becomes for teams that want to trade for him. From the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, how do I tell my family they're putting too much pressure on me and my wife to bring our kids around? When we do bring them around, it never feels like it's enough. The play there is to allow your kids to have alone time with the grandparents. Grandparents love to have the kids around and spoil them, take them out to dinner. So if the grandparents can have the kids for a weekend, maybe just a a Saturday night, and you can go out and get a hotel room and spend some time together, have a date night, you can do it that way. If the grandparents say, hey, there's not enough time, explain to them that Kids are different these days because everything is so organized. Kids have to be in place A, B, C, and D on especially weekends throughout the course of the year. But if you can get them to take them on their own, to do that. And But explain to them, say, hey, look, it's not like it was when I was a kid, when I would go out in the backyard and play ball. It just doesn't work that way anymore. These kids have to be places. They have, They're on teams. They have appointments. They have lessons. And that's why you don't see them as much as you would like to maybe invite your parents to ride along with you on a Saturday you can go pick up the grandparents get a coffee maybe a bagel and then just have them sit in the car with you as you drive your kid around to all of their appointments and all of their practices and stuff so you can really have a a tangible illustration of just how busy and complicated a kid's schedule can be these days and maybe if they actually experience it they'll understand it and they'll back off a little bit from the pressure standpoint good thought yeah All right, Randy, um, I think that that is it for today. All right. Thank you very much for the questions. We do appreciate it. We have an early edition of You're Killing Me, Smalls, coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, let's get started with. You're killing me, Smalls. 
Some more news, Randy, on the Deshaun Watson front. According to John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, who's very tied in in Houston, a compensation and a potential Deshaun Watson trade between the Dolphins and the Texans has been agreed to. Miami owner Stephen Ross has approved the trade, but there's a sticking point here. He wants Watson's legal issues resolved before the trade is executed. And now the only possible way for this to happen prior to the trade deadline, which is on November 2nd, is if Deshaun Watson settles those civil suits. And a reminder, there's 22 civil suits out there against Deshaun Watson. And right now, Deshaun Watson, according to John McClain and the reporting, is that he doesn't want to settle these suits because he believes that that would be an admission of guilt. But before a deal is made official, Stephen Ross also wants to talk to Commissioner Roger Goodell and find out if Deshaun Watson could possibly be suspended under the personal conduct policy, and if for so, how long. But Roger Goodell was asked about Deshaun Watson and the situation during a press conference yesterday evening at the owners meeting in New York. And he said the league doesn't have access to the same information as the police do in Houston and that the NFL doesn't want to interfere with that investigation. So still a lot of hurdles to get over, but at least the compensation has been agreed to between the Dolphins and the Texans as it regards Deshaun Watson. Uh, a couple of things here. Number one with Stephen Ross, typical NFL owner thinking that the law works at the behest of the NFL rather than the league working within the confines of the legal system. Doesn't work that way. And typical Roger Goodell, just like he did with Ray Rice, saying, yeah, we don't have access to that, when in fact, the facts of the case were available to the National Football League, but they never accepted them. Roger Goodell says, well, we don't have access to things that the police have access to. All you need to do is ask, and apparently they don't want to. And apparently Roger Goodell has a pretty short memory about these things, because we all remember the Ray Rice case, and how bad it looked for the NFL, and they're going down the exact same road here with Deshaun Watson. Watson. They are, but how many people stopped watching football after the NFL bungled the Ray Rice situation? Not many. And I think Roger Goodell is probably looking at that and learned a lesson that if he separates himself from it, it's not going to impact the product. And then he's not putting himself in the eye of the store, implicating himself in any way. I sure am reading and hearing about a lot of women, though, who have lost interest in the league with the Deshaun Watson situation. At some point, there's got to be a breaking point, doesn't there? that the NFL essentially is saying, yeah, we don't care about women. Doesn't there have to be a breaking point at some point? There is, but I don't think you're going to lose your target demographic, which is probably what the NFL is focusing on. It's all about money. But but yeah, don't tell me football is family and that you're going to talk about the integrity of the league when there's 22 civil suits against this person for sexual misconduct against women and you're not going to suspend him or, or he's going to get an opportunity before all of this is ironed out. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, another... NFL story that's been in the headlines, Randy, is Mike Tomlin and his potential link, potentially being linked to the USC job. We talked about this yesterday that Carson Palmer actually sparked a, sparked a lot of debate, excuse me, being he was naming a lot of candidates that were in talks or in the mix for the USC job. And Mike Tomlin's name got brought up, which surprised a lot of people. Mike Tomlin was actually asked about this during his pressure yesterday, and he did not mince words about the connection or the alleged connection to himself and the USC job. And Palmer connecting you to some college jobs. Hey guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. 
why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. All right. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? Well, that was pretty definitive. Never say never, but never. <laughs> I think you could hear by the tone of his voice that it doesn't seem like he's very interested in that job and that he's annoyed he even has to address those rumors. But they he was linked to the job, mm-hmm. so it's a fair question by um, reporters to ask him about it. But a lot of coaches do the I'm going to beat around the bush or dance around this denial. Mike Tomlin, I think, pretty much... Uh, let us know where he stands on that. That's how you deny a rumor. Michelle Penn State coach James Franklin has been linked to the same jobs, USC and LSU. And he was asked yesterday the same question. You've been connected. What do you have to say? Long down the road, do you look at Penn State's future when it comes to the people that are ostensibly your peers in the administration? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, again, I think that's a fair question. Obviously, you know, we're, we're trying to be focused on Illinois and talking about Illinois as much as we possibly can. Wait, 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 wait. This was yesterday, Michelle. Illinois was last week, the nine overtime game. You're playing Ohio State this week. You're playing the Buckeyes. You're playing at the horseshoe. And at least James Franklin has that down. Obviously, tremendous challenge uh, going on the road um, to the big house. Wait, Michelle, Michelle, the big house is in Michigan. Okay, you aren't playing Illinois, coach. Sounds like you're distracted. You aren't playing Michigan, coach. Sounds like you're distracted. You're playing Ohio State. You're playing Ohio State, and you appear distracted. You would think of all games that you wouldn't forget the week prior, it would be an epic nine-overtime loss to (laughs) Illinois. You think you would remember that you already played them several days ago. If you are going to hire him, if you're LSU or USC and you're going to hire James Franklin, you better be darn sure that he's convinced this is his last stop. So that he's not distracted? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mike Tomlin leaving no questions as to his interest in the job. James Franklin, without saying much, telling us that he is distracted and possibly has eyes trained elsewhere. He's gone. Does he go to the climate or does he go for the money? USC climate, LSU money. I think he's going to get the money at USC, too. He might get climate and money. Yeah, but at LSU, the last three coaches have won national championships. At USC, the last three coaches have been Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, and Clay Helton. Do you think that if you're James Franklin and you're comparing these two jobs, that the Hollywood aspect of USC is a desirable factor? Absolutely, because you can walk down the street and people say, Hey, hey, Justin Peel. So, yeah, it's Key and Peel. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, about but it. you can go anywhere in Baton Rouge, a gas station, the grocery store, and everyone's going to know every detail about you. He's going to be more of a king there than he would be in California. Yeah, that's true. But USC is so big. Pete Carroll became a king there. So, if you win, yes, yeah, you're going to be by yourself as the king of Baton Rouge and a large part of Louisiana. But you also have that pressure of if you have a bad year and a half after winning the national championship, you're, you're done. Even if you're a son of Louisiana. Right. Yeah. No doubt about it. Thanks, Michelle. 
You got it, Randy. That is You're Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got to take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Ten years ago tonight, David Freeze hit the game-winning homer in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. And in about 13 minutes, we want to know where you were, what you were doing, what impact that home run had on your life. You can leave us a mic drop if you'd like with the 101 ESPN app. You can send us a text, 65780, to the Air Comfort Service text line. What were you doing ten years ago tonight? And how do you remember in your mind's eye David Freeze home run? By the way, the 2006 World Championship was achieved 15 years ago this evening as Jeff Weaver and the Cardinals eliminated the Detroit Tigers. So a big night, October 27th for St. Louis. All right, Michelle, time for Take It or Leave It. And we talked yesterday about Byron Kennedy, the Tampa Bay Bucks fan, who negotiated for a Mike Evans-signed jersey, his game-used cleats, $1,000 worth of team store credit, a couple of season tickets for the rest of 2021 and 22 seasons, plus a couple of Tom Brady jerseys. He got all that stuff in exchange for Tom Brady's 600th touchdown pass ball, which Mike Evans had handed him. Jerry Jones was asked what he would have done in such a negotiation. And Jarrah said, I'd be hard to trade with. I'd explain to everybody that it's like asking for my baby. Then I'd tear up for him a little bit, thinking about how I'm going to have that when I'm 90. And then after all of that, I'd take offers. Uh, Take it or leave it. Jerry Jones would take offers for his baby. I'll take that. He's a businessman at heart and a pretty good one. Yeah, it's all about the money for him. He, If the money is big enough, it doesn't matter what it is. Jerry Jones will accept a big offer for anything. All of these NFL owners, I think, would negotiate with their child if possible. Yeah. Hey, they sold out St. Louis, didn't they? <laughs> one of one of their city children. Yeah, yeah they right. were very quick to throw St. Louis to the side. Yep. Um, well, speaking of people that threw St. Louis to the side, Randy, let's talk about Roger Goodell for a second. So, uh, again, at the NFL owners meetings, he was asked yesterday about a lot of things, including Deshaun Watson. But he was also asked about the league's decision not to make the results of their investigation into the workplace culture of the Washington football team public. And Roger Goodell gave this explanation as to why they won't release those emails or release more information. He said, we're very conscious of making sure we're protecting those who came forward. That was a very high priority. He wants to make sure that the people who cooperated in the investigation remain anonymous. Take it or leave it. He mispronounced himself when he said those who came forward. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, all you had to do is say Roger. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the league, I can't imagine, would like all the details of this to come out because they did find Daniel Snyder $10 million. So clearly they found some things in that investigation that they did not like if they were going to find him. And I think that if a lot of this stuff came out, just like with what we saw with John Gruden in the emails, that the league would be under fire for probably not doing more. Hey, Roger, new invention, Sharpie. You can redact <laughs> names. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your text 65780. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 314 ticket or leave it, Derek Henry, Derek Henry will break the trend of quarterbacks winning and win the NFL MVP this year. Well, like this. And Michelle, I'm going to have to leave it. I believe that Kyler Murray will probably be. A, this is midseason. Obviously, things can change. 
But I, th- I think Kyler Murray, I think Tom Brady will be in that mix ahead of Derrick Henry. And I think Josh Allen is going to be in that mix, too. I think Kyler is probably going to be the guy if he can maintain what he's been doing so far this season. And even though Derrick Henry is such a worthy candidate, and I would love to see him get that award, if a quarterback is in the mix, a quarterback is likely going to win. And it's really remarkable. And we have to savor, I hate to say this, we have to savor what we're seeing here. But Tom Brady, with 2,275 yards, leads the NFL. 21 touchdown passes, leads the NFL. And he's only thrown three interceptions, which is the fewest for anybody who has played all of their games. Well, I'm sorry, Cousins has fewer. So Tom Brady has the second fewest interceptions in the NFL. What he's doing at the age of 44 is truly amazing. It's remarkable. From the 636, take it or leave it, Aaron Rodgers gets to 550 career touchdowns. Uh, okay, A-Rod right now. Let me get you that uh, his number where he is. And by the way, they play tomorrow night against Arizona. And Arizona's got a really good defense. A-Rod's total right now in the NFL is 427. Does he mm. throw 113 more? I'm going to take it. I'm going to leave it because even though he's capable of doing it after he leaves Green Bay. I don't know how great the situation is going to be with whatever team he lands on. I'm sure in his mind's eye, he thinks it's going to be just like Tom Brady, that he's going to get out of a situation he doesn't feel great about, go somewhere, have all of this power and be able to win a Super Bowl right away. But it's very hard to win. And Tampa Bay really executed the Tom Brady experiment flawlessly. And I don't know that another organization will be able to do it that well. And I could completely see Aaron Rodgers going somewhere, not loving it and retiring. Brady uh, has, has over 600. Rodgers will, pl- this is his age 37 season. He turns 38 on December 2nd. So and he'll probably end Michelle with about 450 at the end of this year. Is 427, so he'd need to throw 23 more. Could easily do that. So he would need to throw 100 in his 38, 39, 40 seasons. 33 a year. I, I'm, I'm still going to take it. Okay. From the 573, take it or leave it, the new CBA will have a major impact on the Cardinals' makeup next year. Yeah, I'll take that. It almost has to because we're going, if, well, when there is a new CBA, we're going to have a DH. Right. Yeah, I'll take that too. Obviously, if the DH comes to the National League, it's going to dramatically change the Cardinals' lineup and, and the construction of that lineup. From the 314, take it or leave it, Jordan Cairo will finish the season with more points than Vladdy. Mm, I think this is a fun question. Yeah, that's a good one. I am. I'm going to leave it, though. I, I do think even if Laddie winds up going somewhere else, I think that he'll wind up with more points this season than Kyrou. I think so, too. I think. I don't see Vladdy not finishing the season out with the Blues, at least at this point. So I'm going to take that, or excuse me, I'm going to leave it that Kairu will finish the season with more points than Vladdy. Kairu has eight. Vladdy has six through five games. From the 636, take it or leave it, Mo is not the Cardinals' Pobo in five years. I'll take that. Ooh, that's, a, that's a good one. I'm going to leave it. I, th- I think that he's safe. I think he's safe as safe can be. And I don't know 
what other situation would be more desirable for him. I'm kind of surprised, Michelle, and I don't know if he'd want to do it, but I'm surprised his his name hasn't come up with the Mets, simply because everybody else in the world's name has. Uh, they turned out a car dealer. <laughs> or a car dealer said, oh, nah, nah, not interested. So uh, I, I'm just really surprised that one of the big market teams hasn't come after him. And by the way, I believe when he was named Pobo that somebody else was coming after him and the Cardinals made it really attractive for him to stay. I don't know that he was on the verge of leaving, but I don't think it was Gersh who was going to walk out the door. I think it was Mo who was going to step up to a Pobo position and got it with the Cardinals. You always bring up the point, and it's a great one, that Bill DeWitt is the most powerful man in baseball. And if you're John Mozeliak, you're working in lockstep with the most powerful man in baseball, and he trusts you 100% to run his operation of a storied franchise that's in contention basically every single season. And even though the Mets is a bigger market and you would certainly get a feather in your cap if you were the guy to turn that around, why would you want to deal with a place that has so much drama and volatility and have to deal with a new owner that's tweeting about its team all the time when you're in a pretty safe and powerful position right now? Yeah, one of the big advantages that Mo has is that Bill DeWitt, while heavily, heavily involved, is heavily involved quietly. People like Steve Cohen with the Mets and Artie Moreno with the Angels, they're heavily involved, but they make no secret about it. The the word that we kept hearing from both Mo and Oliver Marmol the other day was collaboration. And I don't think it's just collaboration between the Pobo and the manager. It's collaboration between the owner and the Pobo, too. So he does have it probably better than anybody else in that regard in baseball. I, I don't know that there is an organization that continually has a top 10 payroll that has a high level of success where they always seem to be on the same page. Even if they aren't, they always seem to be. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Thank you very much for your texts. Next up, we want to hear from you. Ten years ago tonight, David Freeze hit the game-winning home run in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, and we want to know where you were, what you were doing, what sort of impact that had on you. Leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop, send us a text. You are next with Randy and Michelle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, that iconic call by St. Louis and Joe Buck, and his dad did the same thing in 1991. We will see you tomorrow night, and there's only one way you can make that call work, and that is for a home run that wins game six. Jack Buck did it for Kirby Puckett in Minnesota. Joe Buck did it for David Freeze in St. Louis. Where were you? What were you doing that night 10 years ago? 
this evening. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And Michelle, uh, so many people have so many stories. I know we've already got a lot of texts and mic drops. Uh, what do you have for us on the text line? The 615. I was watching the game at an Irish pub with a friend. I had to leave in the ninth inning because the place was closing. I listened to the game tying hit as I was pulling into the garage, and then I sprinted upstairs to watch the rest of the game. And there was nothing wrong with listening to that game on ESPN Radio because Dan Schulman's calls were also spectacular that night. And both Joe and Dan have told us that that game is the best game that they've ever been around. Jason Stark says it's the best World Series game of all time. As a matter of fact, national people, we, we're provincial here, and we say that Game 6 of the 2011 World Series was the best baseball game we've ever seen. But mm-hmm. pretty much everybody that is in the business seems to think that's the case, too. And when you go back and watch that game, there's so many little things that happened during the game that you're reminded of. It wasn't a great game in the beginning. <laughs> there were the errors. It, it was a game that I think a lot of people at that time, as they were watching it in real time, thought was going to be kind of a dud. And then it ended up being the greatest game we've ever seen. And a lot of it was because of the things that you talk about. For example, the Cardinals, they fall behind 9-7 heading into the 10th against a left-handed pitcher, Darren Oliver, and the Cardinals have Jay and Descalso coming up, and then there's nobody left on the bench. It's the pitcher's spot. Jay and Descalso, both with great at-bats, both get on. Tony pinch hits with Loesch to move the runners over, and they get a base hit to tie the game. It was just crazy how strange things happened. It was almost like it was fate for the Cardinals to win that game. I love this text from the 314, Randy. I was at game six with my eight-year-old nephew. I have never seen or heard of anything like the end of that game. Complete strangers were hugging him and tossing him in the air. He (laughs) said on the way home from that game that he wanted that feeling. Ten years later, as a CBC senior, he hit the walk-off RBI double to win the district title, and he got mobbed at second base. His phone call to me after, I walked it off freestyle. (laughs) That's fantastic. What a great story. And, yeah, ten years ago. It's amazing. The eight-year-olds then are 18 now, but I'm sure that it's just as vivid for those people as it is for us who uh, were were adults when it happened. Michelle, we've got a mic drop. This is Dan joining us on 101 ESPN. Hey guys, calling from Switzerland. I was uh, in my apartment in Zurich, stayed up all night, was going to roll over and go to sleep after uh, they went down and just thought, don't do it, don't do it. I stayed up all night and watched the rest of the game, and basically as soon as the game was over, my alarm went off to go to work the next day. Smile all day at at the international school I work at. So, man, what a day. What a day. And a night. And a day. Thanks. (laughs) That is phenomenal. First of all, technology is incredible. And Mm -hmm. second of all, talk about Cardinal Nation getting around in Zurich, Switzerland, up late to watch that game. We've heard from so many people, uh, especially during the pandemic when we would revisit the magic of this game, that were abroad and that found ways to watch that game and that were at they were up at all crazy hours of the night watching that game and couldn't turn it off. And you're right, Cardinal Nation does roll deep. And when David Freeze hit that home run and Joe Buck said, we'll see you tomorrow night, you felt St. Louis explode. But I bet there were little pockets all across the world mm-hmm. exploding as well. Michelle, we just got a text from the 636. I don't remember what inning it was, but David Freeze dropped a pop-up that I think even grazed off his face that had he not, those two big hits could have labeled him as the reason they lost. Crazy. And you have a story about that. 
So at the time I was producing for Bernie Miklas, we actually got David Freeze on the morning after game six and I got him on the phone and I said to him, have you gone to sleep? Can you believe that that happened? And he told me before we got him on the air about that pop-up, about him misplaying that. And he said, whenever I, I hit it, the home run, all I could think of was, thank goodness I'm not going to be remembered for dropping that ball. He's like, I could see my picture being on the cover of the post-dispatch of the hometown kid who had an error, and that's why we lost the game. And I'm like, David, no one even remembers that that happened. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no one will ever remember that. The mentality of the athlete is unbelievable. Let's go next to Ryan with a mic drop. Okay, so 10 years ago tonight, it had been a rough year. In a good year. My daughter was born at 23 weeks that year. Packers won the Super Bowl. Diehard Packer fan. Huge Cardinal, huge Blues fan. And then comes October, and I thought we were out. And David Freeze hits that shot off the wall. And then we will see you tomorrow, baby. My... 23-week-year-old baby at this point was probably about nine months old and still about three pounds. And I thought I was going to break her. I didn't mean to, but, man, I cheered a lot that night. Anyway, best night ever. Let's go cards to next year. And, man, blues are on fire. Packers are doing good. I'm having a good year this year, too. Best year ever, right? 2010 and uh, or 2011 with the Packers winning and your daughter being born, of course, and uh, the Cardinals winning that World Series and that memorable home run by David Freeze. So many people, when they think about that game, they think about their family and the, the experience that they had with their family or their friends. That's one of those moments that connects so many people. You're right. And when we hear about and talk about people and, and it, it was so pre-pandemic with people hugging people that they had mm -hmm. never met and don't know. It was something that we just haven't experienced and may never experience again. But, it's, Michelle, that's one of the examples that I give when I talk about the fact that the only thing in our world right now that can galvanize people is sports. Politics pulls people apart. Religion pulls people apart. The news, whether it's reported one way or another or down the line, pulls people apart. The only thing that can bring people together in a community is sports. And think about how many people that David Free's moment brought together. And you're right. It is such a special thing about sports that it's so transcendent and that it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, that if you're standing next to a complete stranger and David Freeze hits that home run, you're likely hugging or high-fiving mm -hmm. a complete stranger. And you don't care what their political affiliation is. You don't care where they went to high school. Right. All you care about that is that you have this shared moment together and that you're celebrating the laundry and you're celebrating your city. This one from the 949. I was sitting in an Applebee's in California, one of the only times I ever have been in an Applebee's. Applebee's. I was the only Cardinals fan and nobody else truly understood how great the game actually was. To this day, I always pull up a YouTube video to show my kids the greatness of that game. And that's one of the other great things about technology, isn't it, is that you can, and we did see it so many times during the pandemic, but you can see that game every day if you want. And if you watch from the eighth inning on, you get the essence of the game. But young people that had to endure the four-hour game last night or the four-and-a-half-hour games, they get why baseball is great when they watch that on YouTube. 
And the great thing about that game, at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people have the same experience, is I we know the outcome. We've seen it multiple times. And if you watch that game in its entirety, as the game goes on, you still get that lump in your throat and your heart starts to race and your pulse is quickening. The, the drama of that game still affects me physically whenever I re- rewatch it, knowing exactly what's going to happen. I could tell you exactly when the Joe Buck call is coming. I can, I can describe in vivid detail David Freeze running around the bases and throwing his helmet and getting mobbed by his teammates. You know it's coming, but the the way that that game built up into such a crescendo, that's one of the special things about watching it is that you get to feel that magic all over again. Ten years ago tonight. That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN 812. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hey, there's a new name for the bragging rights game at Enterprise Center this year, and Josh Whitman, the athletic director at the University of Illinois is going to join us to tell tell us what the name is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Illinois grad Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the athletic director at the University of Illinois, Josh Whitman. Some big news regarding the Bragg and Rights game. Josh, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, before we get to the basketball part of things, Michelle and I both want to congratulate you on the big win over Penn State over the course of the weekend in football. Thanks so much. It was uh, it was an incredible game. Uh, obviously, a record setting in many ways, and for us to have a chance to, to get into state college and come out with a victory, it's something not a lot of uh, not a lot of schools have a chance to do. And so it was a special day, and, and I know something that our players will, will remember for a long time. Josh, tell us what that day was like for you. Give us what the Josh Whitman experience was like during that upset. <laughs> you know, I, I on the road especially, I don't. Uh, I don't say a lot. I, I sit and, and watch the game, and then uh, usually midway through the fourth quarter, I find my way down to the field and always want to be on the field, uh, no matter what the outcome is, to, to meet the players as they come off. And Obviously, um, we had some, some extra time to play there. Uh, so I ended <laughs> up uh, walking from one end of the field to the other nine times uh, and uh, you know had a lot of chances to, to get a few steps in as we waited to see how that one was going to resolve itself. But I was uh, kind of right there on the sideline, right by the goal line, each of the overtimes and and uh just like everybody else uh kind of nibbling on my on my uh, uh on my gums there just waiting to see how things were gonna gonna end up and it was a incredible performance just really uh have a lot of respect for our players coaches for them to be able to persevere that way and obviously we've had a couple close games uh, already this season that haven't gone our way and for them to to be able to persevere and, and stand up in that moment and get it done was a, i think a, a great testament to them and I, I hope uh, a preview of incredible things for the program to come. Well, Josh, as you know, you know intimately because you were the athletic director at Wash U for many years, and so you know how important the Mizzou-Illinois game is to the St. Louis sports scene and what it is on the St. Louis sports calendar. And it's great to have a new naming rights sponsor for this year's Bush Bragging Rights or uh, Bragging Rights game. It is. It's something we're incredibly excited about. It obviously last year, uh, so many things changed, but uh, to be able to bring that game back into St. Louis and now for the for the new partnership with McBride Homes, we're incredibly grateful 
to the McBride family and, and to that company for all that they've done to, to support us. And uh, both and it's, it's a sponsorship, both of our men's and women's games. We now uh, play both games uh, around that Christmas time window. And uh, this year we'll actually play them on the same day. The women's teams will play up in Champaign at noon, and then we'll have the, the annual showdown between the, the men's teams here in St. Louis uh, at 8 o'clock that night, both on December 22nd. And, again, just can't say enough thanks uh, to McBride Holmes and, and their support of the, of the, of the, uh, the rivalry. I think it's a great game and, and one that uh, we're thrilled to, to uh, be able to partner with them on. Josh, how did this partnership with McBride come about? When did these conversations start? It was led through our respective uh, Learfield groups, and so both of our universities, our athletic programs, have worked with uh, Learfield to, to market our multimedia rights, and they do a lot for us in the sponsorship space. And uh, and so that, that opened up a, a ready line of communication, given that we work with Learfield, Missouri works with Learfield, and so our respective Learfield representatives uh, got on the phone. I think these conversations started several months ago, and uh, we, we always want to have uh, a title sponsor for, for those contests. And some years we're more successful in, in those efforts than others. And, uh, but uh, those respective teams from, from our different campuses were able to get together and, uh, and able to identify McBride. And, and uh, just really excited about the opportunity to really shine that spotlight uh, on what has become a, an incredible rivalry, uh, both for the men's and women's programs. And this will be a multi-year deal, the McBride-Holmes bragging rights game. And this year, it's on December 22nd at Enterprise Center. Josh, since Missouri left the Big 12 and they don't have the Kansas game anymore, I would argue, and I think a lot of Mizzou fans would agree with me, that the biggest game on their calendar is the Illinois game. The Illini are kind of Mizzou's biggest rival. You obviously have rivalries in the Big 10. Where does the annual game with Missouri stack up, though? Oh, it's right at the top. I mean, obviously, we have our historical rivals in the Big Ten. I think you kind of have to set those to one side. Um, those are always going to be there, and our fans enjoy those. But in terms of our non-conference schedule and, and just the, the tradition of it, our fans will tell you that, that nothing rivals the, the Bragg and Rights game, and, uh, especially given its proximity to the holidays. I think for a lot of people, it kind of signals the start of their official Christmas celebration. It's always kind of in that 21st to 23rd window and uh we, we get a lot of fans who come down from all over the state down from chicago uh and it's it's a part of their annual family tradition they'll bring folks and their, their kids their their in-laws down to the game and um it, it really is spectacular for people who've had a chance to be in the enterprise center and see the divide from the, the black and gold on the one side to the orange and blue on the other it's uh just an incredible game and, and one that i know our fans always very much look forward to Josh, I wanted to ask you about what was a game changer for college sports, the implementation of name, image, and likeness, and how that rule has changed. How has that impacted the athletic department or the process of things at the athletic department at Illinois? As we expected, it has been a big change. I think it's been a bigger change in some sports than others. Probably somewhat predictably, I think it's had the biggest implications for men's basketball and football. I'm really excited, though, that, that a lot of our student-athletes in a wide sampling of our sports are having NIL opportunities. I think a lot of them are, are kind of low-value, uh, more organic, a lot of in-kind um, opportunities. But it's, it's great. It's great for them to, to have a chance to, to, to make a few bucks here and there and, and create some value off the local celebrity. 
Um, but I, I think in those two sports, football, men's basketball, it will continue to, to grow and evolve here, especially over these next few years. It's such a new space, and there's a lot of kind of testing of the boundaries and, and trying to really determine what this is going to look like in the long term. Uh, but I, I think it's it's probably an overdue, not probably, it's a, it is an overdue uh, adjustment for our uh, our industry, and I, I think it's a great opportunity for our student athletes, and we've certainly been very active in trying to make sure that they have proper resources and support education to be a, a good engagement partner in that space. Hey, Josh, we talk to Coach Bielma pretty much every week here on Carriker and Smallman and excited about where that program is headed. I'm amazed at how far ahead you schedule football games, but I am excited with Coach Bielma and Coach Drink at Mizzou that in 2026 you'll start a four-year deal with a Mizzou-Illinois football rivalry again, too. We're excited about that as well. Obviously, we we played a game uh, against each other in the the 2000s. I think we did a six-game set. And, um, you know, I, I think just because of the geography, because of the, the rivalry we have in basketball, uh, we actually play each other in, in many, many sports. We, we compete against each other in baseball and softball and soccer and uh, on down the list. And, and so this is uh, probably overdue. Uh, it's been probably too long since we've had a chance to step on the football field together. And, uh, really looking forward to having a chance to, uh, to, get, to get that rivalry game fired back up again. And I, I think that our fans will really embrace that and enjoy it as well. Josh, thanks so much for the time. Congratulations again on the naming rights, the McBride Holmes Bragging Rights game, Illinois and Mizzou, December 22nd at Enterprise Center. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. You bet. Bye, Take hello. care. I and I. I and I. That is Josh Whitman. He is the athletic director at the University of Illinois, and great to see local support. Michelle, isn't it for that game? The the folks that over at Anheuser Busch supported it for such a long time. It was I. It's become ingrained in me. I said off the bat, Bush bragging rights game. It'll be known <laughs> as the McBride Holmes bragging rights game henceforth, and. I know you love it. I enjoy it. And I'm not even a a grad of one of the schools, but I can't imagine that there's a better atmosphere with the the black and gold and with the orange. And usually it winds up being the the black and the orange on each side of the building. I can't imagine that there's another rivalry in college basketball, an annual rivalry that has that sort of setup in the building. No, it's one of the unique and uh, most exciting events on the St. Louis sports calendar every year. As you mentioned, the way that the stadium is divided. But as Josh mentioned as well, with everybody home for the holidays, it's such a great time for not only current students to to go to the game, but alumni. It's always a reunion of sorts for people from Illinois and Mizzou to go to that game. And with the teams being good, it's been an entertaining uh, an entertaining rivalry the past few years. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, it is again next man up time for the Blues without Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad. Who are the next guys up? Bernie Federko, Hall of Famer, joins us in the Blues booth next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We have a late edition of The Fight coming up in about 15 minutes. Right now, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome Bernie Federko, the Hall of Famer, into the Blues booth. You'll see him tomorrow before the game as the Blues take on the Avalanche over at Enterprise Center. Bernie, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? 
Good, Randy. How about you guys? Doing great. And I can tell just by watching, I'm not there, but I can tell how much fun you and Danny Mack are having on the pregames and between periods and postgames. Oh, it's been a lot of, because it's a lot of fun when, when the team's winning. I mean, uh, to have the starts they've had, uh, Danny and I are having a great time with it. And, you know, let's hope this keeps going. Well, Bernie, we got the news that Ryan O'Reilly is joining Brandon Saad on the COVID list, and he's going to be out for at least 10 days. That's a, a big blow for the Blues, Ryan O'Reilly being so consistent for the team since he came over from Buffalo. But when you're looking at the line possibilities, who would you bump up to take Ryan O'Reilly's spot? Well, I expect that it's probably going to go to Bozak. I mean, he's played very well on the fourth line. I think the thing with uh, Tyler is he can kind of mix and match with whatever they need him to do. I mean, he's really good defensively, good on faceoffs. Uh, obviously, he's uh, good on the offensive side of the game. I mean, I don't think he can really replace Ryan O'Reilly, but I, I think that with the depth that the Blues have, I think that Tyler could probably jump into that position. And, um, you know, they, <laughs> they've got enough depth to, to get things done. And um, I guess the concern has to be, Bernie, and we don't know the severity of the COVID that Ryan O'Reilly is dealing with, but we're saying 10 days. You hope it's not much more than 10 days for him to get into game shape again. Yeah, Randy, you know, I don't really know how it works, to be honest with you. I mean, I saw Ryan, you know, after the game, or I should say before the game, I kind of talked to him briefly as I was going by him, uh, you know, downstairs there, and, and he looked fine. And he was fine. He played in the game. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, with COVID, is is it just a mild? Is it like having a flu, The you know, with, with, with the vaccination? I don't know how it works. So hopefully it's just a mild case of it. And uh, hopefully that uh, he'll be back and, and be able to work out and do all the kind of things, that, you know, to, to come back real quickly. But I think it's the unknown with everything. I mean, I even with Saad, I don't know how bad, uh, you know, his symptoms have been or anything. So let's just hope that uh, they're mild and, and it doesn't really affect them as far as getting out of shape real quickly. Yeah, it's amazing that uh, you can lose, and you mentioned the depth, but you lose two legitimate top six forwards. And I still feel like when the Blues play the Avalanche tomorrow night that they can roll four really good lines. I would agree, Randy. I mean, to, to lose Sod and Buchnevich for, for a couple of games and it looks like they never really missed a beat. I mean, the team right now, the structure is so good right now. Uh, I think everybody's playing with an awful lot of confidence. I mean, you don't like to, to you know, lose your key players, uh, you know, in, 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 at any time during the year, especially a guy like Brian O'Reilly that, that does it all and is also captain of the team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the depth seems to be there. I mean, the Thomas line is playing so well. I mean, uh, you know what, I, I don't think I've ever seen Vladdy Tarasenko play any better than he is right now. And, you know, uh, Shen's line has been going. So, I mean, everything's there. So uh, I, I think that they'll obviously – I have to take a deep breath going into these next few games without Brian O'Reilly. But I think that when they look around the room, uh, I think everybody's going to say, hey, we can still do it, do this no matter what. So I expect I, I'm pretty confident this team is going to stay on a roll. Bernie, do you remember covering or being on a Blues team that was ever this deep that had this much depth? Uh, you know what? Well, I, yeah, you know what? If you go back to the you know the year that the Blues won the President's Trophy, I mean they were uh, uh, you know pretty de deep there. So there's been there's been teams of uh, you know Michelle that, that have have been you know pretty deep. I even go back to our team in, in eighty eighty one. We were really deep. We we go roll four lines and we could actually we had some guys in the minors that, that could come up. I mean Joey Mullen wasn't even playing. He was down in Salt Lake wasn't even good to be on our team and look what he did in his career. So, um, you know, there's teams that are that, but I mean, for the last few years, I mean, this team to me right now is, is deeper than, than what I saw when they won the Stanley cup in 2019, which says an awful lot. Bernie, what do you think they can be better at? Well, 
right now, I think the defensive structure has got to be better. I mean, they're giving up way too many shots still. I mean, I don't think that you want to give up 30-some shots every game. I mean, um, you know, Huso played very well, especially in the second period. The Blues gave up an awful lot of chances. So um, there's the little things. I mean, they have to continue to work on the penalty kill, which has been really good. I mean, they've only allowed one goal so far. But, you know, it's it's still early in the season, Randy. It, it, it's only five games in. You know, you get excited. I mean, there's still, what, four teams in the league that are there, that are undefeated. So, uh, this is unusual that this is happening right now, but uh, I think that with the Chief, uh, uh, he always wants the defensive structure to be always better, and I think that when they play really good defensive hockey, uh, then you get your chances on the offensive side because the transition game of theirs is really good. But it's just the little things they'll continue to work on, and uh, uh, <laughs> it's a long year yet. Uh, Bernie, as we mentioned with Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Stodd unavailable for the team, they've called up Dakota Joshua. He's the one that gets the call. What sort of contributions do you expect him to bring to this Blues team? He's a big kid. I mean, yeah, I think he proved himself last year when he came up. Uh, he's very solid. Uh, he knows what his job is, and I think that's the whole thing is that when you get called up, you know that you're going to be on the fourth line, uh, and I expect that that's probably going to be with Costin and and with neighbors. Um, they're young kids. They're they've, they're full of energy, and and uh, I, I, again, that's something that uh, he knows what his job is. He's going to be physical, and we saw him physical. I mean, he goes to the front of the net. Uh, you're probably going to see that line not giving off a lot of ice time, um, but they'll be capable of doing whatever they need them to do. Bernie Federico, always great to have you with us. Thanks for taking the time this morning in the Blues booth, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good, guys. You have a good day. Take care. That is the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico. You'll see him on Bally Sports tomorrow with Danny Mac on the pregame show, intermissions, and postgame show for the Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. And, Michelle, I I love the attitude. And hockey players and hockey people always have that next man up attitude. But it really is the only thing that you can do. Even if you lose your captain and lose a player as consistent and as good as Ryan O'Reilly, all you can worry about, unfortunately, is the guys that you have, not the guys that you don't. A lot of times in sports, you say next man up because it is the only option. But I think when you look at this Blues team, you feel comfortable with the next guy in line because of their depth. And that's pretty rare. And to you asked the question about Bozak. That's really interesting. You could move Shen up there, but you've got such a great chemistry going on now with the Shen line. You can move Robert Thomas up there, but you don't want to take Thomas away from Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. So Bozak seems like a logical guy, unless you're going to move Ivan Barbashev up there, who who has scored and been effective in the early going and is very conscientious defensively. I don't think that uh, that Coach Berube can go wrong here. No, we'll find out today what he's thinking. I know that when he was asked about it, he said, I have some ideas, but I'll make that decision Wednesday morning before practice. So we'll find out what Coach is thinking today. And if you want to hear and see one of the great all-time blues, in fact, Bernie said that President's Trophy-winning team of 2000 was really deep. Well, another of the great teams didn't have as much depth up front was the team with Hull & Oates. And this Saturday, you can join Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton for a special uncensored live last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hull. It's Saturday afternoon at Brett Hull's Junction House in Wentzville. Jamie, Donnie, and Jeff are going to sit down with Hully for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. Get there early to grab a seat and get entered to win awesome blues giveaways. Plus, enjoy the signature cocktail menu and the wide variety of menu items at Junction House. A live and uncensored last-minute blues podcast with Hully starting at 3 o'clock Saturday. Get all the details now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up next, we've got a late edition of The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN, and it's time for the fight. We have a late edition of the fight because we were just chatting with Hall of Famer Bernie Federko, so we had to bump the fight to 845, but that's okay because Jared was ready and available to challenge Randy this morning. Hi, Jared. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you ready to take on Randy Carriker and the fight today? We're going to find out. All right. Well, question number one uh, comes because today is a very special anniversary of an underdog team that came out of nowhere. So, Jared, maybe you could be like the 2011 Cardinals. All right. Well, question number one for you. Today is the 10 year anniversary of game six of the 2011 World Series. We all know who had the winning RBI in that game, but who had the first RBI in that game? Was it Lance Berkman, Yadier Molina or Alan Craig? Oh, boy. Uh, I used to be a Yankees fan, so I'm uh, struggling a little bit with the Cardinals history. I apologize. Uh, But I'll I'll go with uh, Lance Berkman. On this day in 2015, U.S. women's national team legend Abby Wambach announced she would be retiring as a player. Wambach won the award for the best FIFA women's player one time in 2012. Which American has won the the award twice? Was it Mia Hamm, Carly Lloyd, or Brandi Chastain? Oh boy, another number one of my areas that isn't strong, but I'm going to go with Mia Hamm. Question number three for you, Jared. On this day in 2018, the Dodgers and Red Sox played an 18-inning game, the longest in history, both by time and frames. Which Dodger broke the 2-2 tie with a walk-off solo home run? Was it Kike Hernandez, Cody Bellinger, or Max Muncy? Uh, again, oh boy, not a strong suit today. Let's go with Cody Bellinger. Okay. And which active pitcher has the lowest career World Series ERA with a minimum of 20 innings? Is it John Lester, Madison Bumgarner, or Max Scherzer? Let's go with uh, John Lester. All right. We're going to wave Randy in, checking our score here as well. Jared, you kept saying that these were not really in your wheelhouse. What is your wheelhouse? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I used to think it was baseball, but I'm not sure right now. <laughs> and you said that you're a Yankees fan? I, I grew up a Yankees fan upstate New York, yes. Oh, wow. Well, sorry, we didn't have a ton of Yankees questions at the, at the, <laughs> the ready today. All right, Randy is coming in. He's getting set up. Well, what brought you to St. Louis, Jared? Uh, the military and uh, wife is from here. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service. Randy's putting his headphones on. Randy, please say good morning to Jared. Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How's your day going? Now, who can argue with that? Uh, that I just hit that accidentally. That was my little <laughs> button, and I, I hit it accidentally. Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jared. Randy, at least you didn't hit all I do is win and call your shot. That could have been a bad omen. That's true. I did not do that, and I will not do that. All right, Randy, are you ready? Ready. 
Question number one, as you know, today is the 10-year anniversary of Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. Mm -hmm. We all know who had the winning RBI in that game, but who had the first RBI in that game? First RBI in that game. I believe that Jaime did allow early runs to the uh, Rangers. I'll do the... Uh... No, I won't. Think about this. Because at the top of their lineup, they had... They had Hamilton and Cruz. I'm going to... Uh, can I can I add a note real yes. quick? It's the first Cardinal RBI. Oh, first Cardinal RBI. Okay. Uh, well, Berkman hit a home run in the second. I think I'll go with Lance Berkman. On this day in 2015, U.S. women's national team legend Abby Wambach announced she would be retiring as a player. Wambach won the award for the best FIFA women's player one time in 2012. Which American has won the award twice? Okay, I will go with, um, should I go old school? Um, I think I will go old school and go Mia Hamm. Question number three for you, Randy. On this day in 2018, the Dodgers and the Red Sox played an 18-inning game, the longest in history, both by time and by frames. Mm -hmm. Which Dodger broke the 2-2 tie with a walk-off solo home run? Okay, I remember the game, but I don't remember the players specifically. But I think if you give me the lifeline, I think I can come up with it. Kike Hernandez, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy. Cody Bellinger. And which active which active pitcher has the lowest career World Series ERA with a minimum of 20 innings? Mm, minimum of 20 innings. Active pitcher. Um I I think well, let's see here. I don't think that guy has 20 innings. I am going to go with Charlie Morton. All right, gentlemen, we have a tie. Mm. We have a tie. Both Randy and Jared each got two correct, which means we're heading to the tiebreaker round. Here's how this is going to work, Jared. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy is going to write his answer on a sheet of paper as I'm reading it, but we're going to get you first crack at it. You're going to get about 10 seconds to reveal your answer. And then Randy's going to share with us what he wrote down on the piece of paper. First person to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. All right. All right. Okay, Jared, are you ready? Yes. Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here's your tiebreaker question. How many home runs were hit in the 2020 Major League Baseball postseason, including the wild card series? One more time, how many home runs were hit in the 2020 Major League Baseball postseason, including the wild card series? Okay. Um, let's see. I will say... Um, Randy's writing things down. I am. Jared, do you have an answer for us? Um, I'm going to... Again, I don't know. I'm going to go with 15. <laughs> And I, I went with a hundred. Say that again, Jared. You said fifteen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And Randy. I went with one hundred and eleven. One hundred and eleven. 
This is a showcase showdown. We're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Is it Jared or is it Randy on this hump day? Emily, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. Randy <laughs> raising his hands in victory. Very excited. He pulled out the victory today. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. Randy was closer to the pin on the tiebreaker. And we're going to get to that in a second. But we all know who had the winning RBI in game six of the 2011 World Series. The first Cardinal RBI in that game was Lance Berkman. He had a two-run home run in the first to left center and Skip Schumacher scored. On this day in 2015, Abby Wambach announced that she would be retiring as a player. She won the award for Best FIFA Women's Player one time in 2012, and Mia Hamm won it twice. She was the American that won it twice, 2001 and 2002. In that 18-inning game, the longest in history by time and frame between the Dodgers and the Red Sox in 2018, it was Max Muncy mm. who broke the 2-2 tie with a walk-off solo home run to end the game. And I'm sure you guys are going to understand the answer here, especially you, Randy, once you hear it. But the active pitcher that has the lowest career World Series ERA with a minimum of 20 innings is Madison Bumgarner. Oh, yeah. With, Makes sense. With a .25 ERA. He also has the lowest overall career World Series ERA, which brings us to the tiebreaker question, which was how many home runs were hit in the 2020 MLB postseason, including the wild card series? Jared guessed 15, Randy guessed 111. The correct answer is 159. Hmm. 159. So Randy was closer to the pin, and he is our winner today. Jared, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you very much. And Jared, I echo Michelle and everybody that's listening. Thank you very much for your service and your protection of our freedoms as well. Thank you very much. Have a great day. That is Jared on 101 ESPN. And that is The Fight. Next up, we're going to visit with our new friend from MLB Network Radio and from St. Louis. She's a product of Eureka and Mizzou. Danny Wexelman, talking World Series, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and the Braves win game one of the World Series last night in Houston by a score of 6-2. Here to talk about it on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is our friend Danny Wexelman, native of the St. Louis area, went to Eureka, went to Mizzou, and now you can hear her on MLB Network Radio tomorrow morning and Friday at 10 on Power Alley. Danny, great to have you with us. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, good morning, friends. I'm great because it's World Series week and it's Halloween. It's my favorite time of the year. So thank you for having me back. We're glad to have you. First of all, do you have a Halloween costume for 2021? (laughs) I have one. My friend is throwing a villain's party and I was going to be an umpire. I thought that would be really funny, but (laughs) I've since changed my mind. I'm going to be Helga Pataki. So I've, I've got a costume in the works for that. I'm trying to be original. I hope it works. Love it. Okay. High level of creativity there, Danny. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's start with this. How much does it hurt the Braves to lose Charlie Morton? Oh, it hurts them a lot. And that's what they've dealt with all season long. The theme of this season, I think, has been 
adversity, resilience, and just getting the job done. It's the next man in line. And you saw last night what the bullpen was able to do. And I don't think anyone should be surprised by that. And losing Charlie Morton is going to hurt. But if there's one guy you're going to rally around, if not Ronald Acuna Jr., it's going to be Charlie Morton, right? The greatest teammate quote of all time named by every guy he's ever played with. So maybe it's a little motivating for them. It hurts, but I think they're going to be okay. And Danny, the loss of Morton is big for a lot of reasons, but that meant last night that there was an unexpected strain on the Braves' bullpen. How do you think having to go to the bullpen early last night is going to impact them for the rest of the series? Well, no doubt about it, Max Freed throwing tonight. You need Max Freed to go deeper into this game, and that's going to be super important to preserve that bullpen. A.J. Minter probably won't be available tonight because of how, how long he threw last night. I think it was two and two-thirds, and so he, he won't be available tonight. But And Tyler Matzik, depending. But those dudes have been unbelievable. If Max Freed can go it can give them some length and stretch out tonight i think that absolutely helps because then they have a day off right the series heads back to atlanta so everybody will get a little bit of rest and be able to come back and and um have a little bit more legs under them so to speak but the i think the thing to point out guys and remember is that during the entire postseason the braves played every single game close except for two they only had two blowouts the entire postseason so they know how to manage their bullpen and how to navigate scenarios like this. It's what they've done for all of October. Danny Wexelman, MLB Network Radio, joining us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Danny, one of the interesting aspects to this World Series, especially with potentially four games in Houston, is that I would guess there's never been a National League team that could pull a DH out of their off of their bench that led the American League in homers as a DH a couple of years ago, like Jorge Soler. That's a huge lineup, and it's amazing what a difference it makes, doesn't it, in the look of their lineup from National League Park to American League Park? Wow, you come out swinging and you get a home run in this game to start things off. I mean, that's a slap in the face. That's a statement right there. And I, I heard that Brian Snicker, manager for the Braves, was agonizing over the decision to move NLCS MVP Eddie Rosario down in that lineup. That's a difficult thing to do. How do you mess with a lineup that has been working for you and has been successful? But Jorge Soler, you've got to get that guy in your lineup too. And now they'll have to figure out when the series shifts back to Atlanta, as you said, where does he fit in? Which position will he be playing? Who gets knocked out of the lineup there? But I, I think tonight you, you should see Eddie Rosario back in the leadoff spot, a lefty facing a righty in Jose Urquidy. But to have Jorge Soler come in and do that two for five last night, two ribbies, that dude, that's impressive. Uh, he missed some time and he comes back in like he's missed nothing at all. That's huge, huge. That's a huge weapon for the Braves in so many different facets. Danny, teams that take a 1-0 lead in a best-of-seven series have gone on to win 64% of the time, and it jumps to 84% when they take a 2-0 lead. So this is obviously a massive game, two for both teams. But what do you think Houston needs to do to secure the victory in game two? Oh, my gosh. They have to do everything. They have to do everything. Now, listen, we've seen, like, everything unconventional in the World Series, right? We've seen starters in relief roles. We've seen just a myriad of weirdness and awesomeness that is baseball, and it is baseball in the postseason. So you you got to bring out all the stops. I know that the percentages are there, and now they kind of shift to the Braves, but this Astros team is 
so freaking good. You have to get Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman hitting. You have to get your leadoff guy on. The teams that score first, when the, when the Astros scored first in the postseason, every game they won. Every game they scored first, they won. For the Braves, they only didn't win one game when they scored first. So you have to get those guys on base. You can't have your franchise players, the guys who won in 2017, who went back in 2019, missed it by one game in 2020, go over. They both went over in the game last night. So first of all, you got to get those guys on base. And second of all, Jose Urquidy has to pitch a good game tonight. That dude was not good in his last outing. It was against Boston in the ALCS. He only went one and two thirds. He gave up six run he missed some time in july and august this year guys with a right shoulder discomfort so you need him to go long because guess what their bullpen was asked to get a lot of outs last night too that wasn't a quick game for them framber valdez only went two innings so you need jose or to go long in this game to give them some legs and you need those guys to get on base danny wexelman with us on 101 espn danny we've been asking listeners today what they were doing where they were 10 years ago tonight when David Freeze hit the home run in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. Where was Danny Wexelman? What were you doing when Freeze hit that home run? Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on air. So, actually, I was in, I was in Columbia, Missouri, and I was at Big 12. Um, I was at Big 12. I believe it's Campus Bar and Grill to some. I was at Big 12 downtown with a bunch of friends, and I was definitely standing on top of tables uh, spraying whatever adult beverage I had in my hand at the time. And then I drove, actually drove back to St. Louis for seven and watched it right outside the ballpark. And they opened the gates, guys, for game seven. So anyone who was standing outside the ballpark, we rushed in, and I went and sat literally like right behind the Cardinals dugout to watch the trophy ceremony. It was unbelievable. But yeah, for game six, I was in Columbia and I was, um, I was having a good time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like an unbelievable memory, Danny. Well, let's stick with the Cardinals for a second. I wanted to get your reaction to the unexpected firing of Mike Schiltz. And what did you think about the appointment of Ali Marmol as the next Cardinals manager? Yeah. I, my jaw dropped when I saw that alert come across my phone. I think that most people were probably pretty surprised at that, we were lucky to talk to Mike Schilt on Power Alley in the mornings every week. And, you know, the dude is super transparent. I think that he is really smart. I think he's very thoughtful. And I think that he fights and cares about his players at a very high level. So I'm not worried about him. I think he said the phone's already been ringing. I was surprised. But here now you see this hiring of Ollie. And I think that. They wanted someone internal. They got their guy. They wanted someone who's been in this organization, who's been ingrained, you know, first drafted as a player. Then he is a first base coach. Then he's a bench coach. He is under Mike Schilt, who had learned from Tony La Russa. So it really is all in the family here. I think it's an amazing hire. I think having a 35-year-old in that dugout, in that clubhouse, is going to be invigorating for this team. And by no means am I worried that he's younger. By no means am I worried that he didn't play in a big league game. I think we've seen the irony, right, guys, though, is that you see Dusty Baker and Brian Snicker uh, managing in the World Series, 72 years old and 66 years old. It doesn't matter how you get it done. If you're respected in your clubhouse, which he is, I think that he's going to do a fantastic job. And, And to be honest, You know, Xavier Scruggs and I talked about this yesterday. He was hired because he's the best guy for the job. There's no doubt about that. But he's also a minority manager, and I think that representation matters. 
And I think that he didn't get the job because of that. I know that there's no, there's no way that that's the case here, but I think the representation matters. And I think it's a huge deal that the Cardinals um, made that a point to bring in Ollie. Um, and now there are, there are kids who can grow up and watch him manage one of the most historic franchises in all of baseball and think maybe I can do this too. So for me all around, I loved the hire of John Moselak saying he'll have some autonomy, which he absolutely will. But I think he's kind of got, you know, he's got the keys to, to a pretty nice car right now. And um, I think he's a great, great person to drive it. Danny, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Enjoy the World Series and enjoy Halloween. And we'll be tuned in tomorrow on MLB Network Radio, 10 o'clock St. Louis time for Power Alley. Thank you guys for having me so much. Enjoy Halloween. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. You too. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. See you later. That is Danny Wexelman, MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM, joining us on Carriker and Smallman. Next up, Mizzou is at Vanderbilt this weekend as the Tigers come off of their bye week. We're going to talk to offensive lineman Connor Wood next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And Jen Langosh used to cover the Cardinals for MLB.com. She was actually our 101 ESPN Cardinal Insider. Now she has a couple of little ones. She's a managing editor for MLB.com, heavily involved with the St. Louis chapter of the BBWAA, and joining us now on 101 ESPN to talk a little bit about Oliver, Oliver Marmol, the new Cardinal manager who Jen knows well. Jen, thanks for taking some time with us. And uh, I first of all want to know how you're doing. I'm doing well, Randy. It's been way too long since we've done this, so thank you for the invitation. Um, you know, life is crazy and chaotic in our house with a three-year-old and a nine-month-old, but um, it's wonderful, so life is really good. That, that is great to hear. And Michelle retweeted the other night, and it was brought to mind your story a few years ago about the the work that Oliver Marmol and his wife have done down in Nicaragua and Guatemala and the generosity of that couple beyond being a, a baseball man that everybody raves about everybody in the Cardinal organization. He's a genuinely good human being. He is, you know, and, and as I went back and read that story, which I wrote in 2014, and at the time, you know, Ollie was a minor league manager who was making about $40,000 a year. Um, and he and his wife would take these trips down to Central America and just became, you know, moved by what they saw, working at orphanages, trying to bring baseball to different communities. And they came home and committed to donating half half of the money that Ollie made at a side job that he did during the off season, basically to support his family it was a baseball performance Academy that he started. Um, and since then they have donated half of their profits to these orphanages and two different projects um, in Guatemala, in Nicaragua, in Haiti. Uh, the first year that he did this, he was able to feed a village in Haiti for six months with the money that he donated. So, um, you know, we, we hear stories like this a lot in baseball and, it, you know, it's so wonderful to see what our players and managers and coaches do. But to think that somebody who was, you know, really just trying to scrape by, new in his marriage, trying to afford a house, would donate this much of his income to help people in other countries it was really touching to me at the time, but I think also speaks to who Ali is as a person. And, you know, now for Cardinals fans to get to know who he is going to be as a manager. 
And Jen, when I was reading that story, one thing that really popped out about me out, out to me is that this is someone that really cares about people. He cares about people he doesn't even know, and he's going to find a way to scrape together some money to help people he doesn't know. So I can only imagine the time and energy and care he would pour into relationships of people that he has a longstanding um, history with. And I think that that's probably going to be a huge character trait that allows him to be successful in this role as a manager, is the way that he develops those relationships and takes the care and intention to pour into his players. Absolutely. He is a very relational person, you know, and I think, you know, we saw a lot of this even in his climb through the minor leagues, right? I mean, he was at times really not that much older than a lot of the players he was managing. His minor league career was so short. Um, he immediately started, you know, coaching and he gets up to the major leagues and here he is, you know, for instance, coaching Matt Carpenter, who was his roommate when they, you know, were both drafted in the same class. So, um, but he is a guy who, commands respect by the way that he carries himself. Um, the fact that he is bilingual allows him to communicate and relate to, you know, just about everybody in that clubhouse, which is um, such, such a value trait in the sport. But yeah, I mean, he is going to pour himself into people. And I think if you're playing for somebody that you know is invested in you and wants to see you be successful, not only on the field, but also successful and happy in your life, um, that's somebody that you're going to want to play for. And I think that's going to be really important in the clubhouse that he is walking into now because I mean this is a group that when they left Dodger Stadium a few weeks ago all but assumed that Mike Schilt would be back as manager and you know I think just as much as it was a jolt to everybody on the outside to see what happens soon after it's a big jolt to those in the clubhouse so I think having somebody like Ollie to kind of galvanize that group get them on the same track, pulling back in the same direction is going to be very valuable. And I have no doubt that he'll be able to do that. Jen Langosh with us on 101 ESPN. And Jen, Tony Larusa has said the hardest thing to do as a manager is to manage a superstar at the end of his career. And Mike Matheny, at least, found out that it could be difficult to manage Yadier Molina, even if he wasn't at the end of his career. I, I would guess that that'll probably be the biggest challenge for uh, Oliver Marmol is finding the, the right amount of playing time for Yadi or Molina and then having Yadi agree with it. It is. I, I think every manager that's managed Yachty now, you know, this will be the fourth, has had that struggle. Um, I do go back to something that I remember Mark DeJohn telling me about Ollie when I uh, talked to him a few years ago for another story about kind of how Ollie was going to be the future manager, you know, in the system. The Cardinals were grooming him for this. Now, of course, not thinking that it would come this soon. Um, but DeJohn relayed a story that he, um, for back when Ollie was managing in state college, about some of the tough love that he would give to players. And an instance in particular where they were playing in the championship game and Ollie was not pleased with the effort that two of his players had given the night before. And he comes up to Dijon on the afternoon before this championship game and says, you know, like, what would you do, Mark? Would you bench these guys? And he goes, no, I, I probably would not for the championship game. And Ollie turned around and he said, I'm going to. And that was his way of making, of sending a message to the club that one individual was not more important than the team and the collective. And so um, I think Ali is capable of that. It is going to be very hard to, you know, figure out how to message that to a future Hall of Famer in your clubhouse, and that is going to be a delicate balance I think he faces, um, certainly right off the bat. But I do think we've seen in Ali's demeanor and in the way he can be assertive in a clubhouse that he is, he is more capable of leading those who have been around much longer than him and, again, still commanding the attention even at his age. Jen, I want to go back to the dismissal of Mike Schilt. John Mozalek described it as philosophical differences, which has become kind of the buzzword around this entire situation. What was your interpretation of that term, philosophical differences, when you first heard it? 
Yeah, you know, I feel like we're going to see this on T-shirts, right? Um, <laughs> philosophical differences. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't totally quick to buy into the fact that like this had all to do with analytics. Uh, you know. I, Mike Schill believed in analytics. I mean, unless something happened in the two years since I've been off the beat, I mean, he was not one to dismiss that. What I heard from a few people, and again, I'm not like as close to this as I used to be, was that there was just some internal struggle going on there. And, you know, I don't think it necessarily rubbed people the right way when Mike would come out and try to keep others in the organization a little more accountable. Um, That Maybe some of that accountability should have fallen on him, at least, you know, public facing. So I think that's kind of where it lie. I, you know, will we ever really know what happened? I don't think so. I don't think Mike Schilt's going to come out and, and say so. Probably, you know, in part for the sake of his own career as he's trying to get another job. But I don't think it's as simple as, like, he wasn't listening to the front office or he wasn't buying into analytics because he did. Uh, you know, he was he was a collaborative manager um, while I was there, and I, I don't believe that changed drastically overnight. I just think there were some internal differences. I also think, quite frankly – the Cardinals knew that they had a future manager in Ollie Marmol. And perhaps at some point they said, you know, we have Mike Schilt or we have Ollie, which one we prefer. And we prefer Ollie. And he was already there. So, you know, it, it might've really pushed them in that direction, knowing that they had an easy candidate, somebody that they were kind of ready to, to take that step. Jen Langosh with us, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Jen, you are, you were overseeing the baseball writers dinner and we've pivoted away from that for 2022 because of COVID and we're going to have multiple events, but one of the really fun ones is going to be a trivia night, a virtual trivia night coming up November 5th and people can get involved now. I, I actually recorded my questions and answers, so I'm really excited about it because I think I gave really tough questions, but to, if people want to play, how can they do so? Uh, I hope they're not too tough, Randy. No, uh, too we got to, you know. They're gettable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, good. Yeah, so this is really exciting. It's our first annual um, virtual trivia night. It's next Friday from 7 to 9. The really cool thing is you don't have to live in St. Louis to participate because it's virtual. And you can also, like, do so with friends who maybe live all over the country or who are spread out. Um, we are selling tables of eight uh, for $200. So if you do the quick math, that's $25 a person. Um, you can join your friends for the two-hour event. We have six rounds of trivia, Cardinals trivia, baseball trivia, pop culture. Um, should be a really fun night. If you're interested in participating, you can go straight to the Eventbrite website and just type in St. Louis Baseball Writers Virtual Trivia, and you'll find our page and be able to buy tickets there. Um, If that's too complicated, you can also send me a message on Twitter, and I can send you the link directly. Uh, My Twitter handle is still MLB. And then all the money that we raise is going to go toward funding um, scholarships and internships for college students. So this is a really cool event that we hope will be a lot of fun. Prizes will be awarded to the winning team, but more than that, um, we just hope it's a fun night for people to gather with fellow Cardinal fans. And uh, right at the end of the World Series, they'll talk a little bit of baseball. Sounds great. And I just retweeted the flyer, so if people want the information, that they can just follow me as well at Randy Carricker okay. on Twitter. Jen, it is great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Say hi to Matt, and best to you and the family, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. You too. Take care. That is Jen Langosh joining us on 101 ESPN. Really good insight into Ali Marmol and I, I think probably the most interesting take on the Mike Schilt high, uh, firing that we've heard, Michelle. 
Agreed. And I encourage everyone to read that piece that Jen wrote mm -hmm. back in 2014. Again, as you mentioned, I had retweeted it at M. Smallman for if people want to find it. But to think that Ali Marmol was not only going to these countries and helping people in need that he didn't know, but that he and his wife came back and were so moved by what they saw and so driven by their desire to help people that they decided to put away half of his minor league salary in order to pour back into these communities speaks so much to the type of person that he is. It's amazing. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, we are going to talk to Mizzou offensive lineman Connor Wood as the Tigers get ready to take on Vanderbilt on Saturday. Connor Wood next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And right now we head to the Brown and DeCrupin Celebrity Line. And joining us is Mizzou offensive lineman Connor Wood. The Tigers getting ready to take on Vandy down in Nashville this weekend. Connor, thanks for joining us. Welcome to 101 ESPN. How are you doing? Thank you for, you know, letting me join on. This is awesome. Oh, we're, we're thrilled to have you. First thing I got to ask is, how are things going in Columbia? You grew up in Meridian, Idaho. You played at Montana State in Bozeman, and now you're in Columbia, Missouri. How has that transition gone in your first fall in Columbia? <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been kind of uh, all over the West, you know, in Idaho and Montana. Well, um, you know, this is actually the farthest east I've ever been is uh, Columbia, Missouri, so... Um, the transition has been, you know, all right. I will say I am still not used to the humidity, but, you know, it it is colder and, um, you know, that's more my type of weather. So, Well, Connor, what's your favorite thing that you've learned about the Midwest? Um, I would say, you know, uh, the professional sports, you know, at, in Idaho and Montana, we don't have uh, much uh, professional sports at all. So, um, you know, when I first got here, we went to Kansas City game, and uh, that was pretty awesome. I was, you know, I was so shocked how big the stadium was, you know, the atmosphere, um, and especially watching baseball, too. You know, uh, I'm not really a huge baseball fan, but it was still a really, really, really cool environment. Connor, Vanderbilt uh, obviously is a, a team that has struggled this year, first-year uh, head coach. Uh, as you prepare for Vanderbilt, what do you see as the biggest challenges against the Commodores? Um, you know, I think it's personally uh, just about us. You know, we just got off a of bye week, and, you know, Coach really honed in on looking back, you know, through, throughout the season, seeing what we can fix and preparing on from week to week and uh, preparing against our opponent, Vandy. So. Connor, take us through what the team routine looks like during the bye week. Um, so we had practice. What was it? I think it was. So Mondays are usually our day off. Um, Tuesdays we have meetings as well as practice. Um, the same as Wednesday. And then uh, Thursday is kind of like a walkthrough, kind of going through the game plan. Um, you know, looking at different stunts and glitches that the that Vanderbilt defense, um, you know, has put on throughout the year, and you know, just kind of preparing and honing into our own game plan. 
Connor Wood, Mizzou offensive lineman with us on 101 ESPN. Connor, what's Eli Drinkwitz like? We, we see him we see him in the media, and he's fun and engaging for us. But as a player for Mizzou, what's it like being around Coach Drink on a daily basis? Yeah, you know, you, you said it, you know, as he, he is what he is. Um, you know, he's the same <laughs> He's the same person every single day. He's a great dude. He's a great leader. Um, you know, I think a lot of the guys really hone in and really respect him as a coach as well as a person. And, you know, that's that's somebody awesome where you want to, uh, you know, follow his, uh, his his footsteps. And, and you know, he's just a great dude. He, he tells you everything straight up. Um, he doesn't beat around the bush, which is awesome, and um, he's going to be real with you. So I, I respect that completely about him and his co- coaching philosophies. And, Connor, every player, every athlete wants the guy in charge to be consistent. So a couple of tough losses, the Tennessee loss, the A&M loss. What has he been like the weeks after those games? You know, I think it comes down to us at the end of the day and what he has said, too. Um, you know, just preparing better. Um, you know, Tyler Beatty, he's a great football player. We just got to keep on, you know, playing better around him. Um, staying consistent, I think, is a huge thing. And so, you know, coming off of those losses, it's very tough. But, you know, you just got to keep on pushing forward and, uh, you know, preparing for the, the weeks to come on. Connor, what was the reaction that you and your teammates had when you found out that Luther Burden was committing to Mizzou? Oh, it was nothing but uh, excitement. You know, I was super happy. You know, me and, my, and a couple of my friends, um, we were we were watching it, the commitment. And, you know, when he picked up those hats and then threw them and picked Mizzou, you know, we all kind of jumped up in excitement. And, uh, you know, we're excited to have him a part of our you know brotherhood and our culture. So... That's cool. Hey, uh, how's the chemistry on the offensive line coming along? Case Cook, obviously, out for the season. You are in there. How is the the group forming now? You know, I think our offensive line group, we're one of the tightest groups on the team. I mean, you have to be. um, And, you know, I think everyone is, you know, they're good people, and we all get along. We all talk about scheme. And and, uh, when we watch film together, we always – you know, we always kind of hone in on each other and say, hey, like, you know, you could do this to be better. You could do this. Uh, it'll help you out like your first step. Or, you know, we just kind of coach each other up. And I think watching film together brings brings us a special bond together. So I think our chemistry um, right now is very good. Hey, Connor, we're looking forward to Saturday at 2 o'clock start, Mizzou at Vanderbilt. Thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Good luck against the Commodores. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. Take care. That is Connor Wood. He is an offensive lineman at the University of Missouri, joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. And he is uh, obviously a guy that making the move over from Montana State has jumped a level of, well, well, multiple levels, moving from Montana State to the SEC. He's got his hands full in this conference. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN, Danny's going to be a little bit late for the crossover, so we're going to get a few more of your mic drops and a few more of your texts about 10 years ago tonight, what you were doing when David Freeze hit the home run to beat the Rangers in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. That's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Belize has the sign he wants. Freeze waiting. The one-two and a fastball hit to right field. Going back is Cruz, and it is off the wall. It bounces back toward the infield. Who holds scores? Berkman scores. Freeze into third. It's tied. The pitch and a swing and a little blooper drops into center for a base hit. Jay will come in to score. Who holds around to third? single by Berkman. They have tied it again. Breeze leading it off. Crowd in a frenzy. 3-2, a swing and a high fly ball. Center field. It is gone! David Breeze, who tied it in the ninth, wins it in the 11th. And one of the most remarkable improbable baseball games you will ever see and there's going to be baseball here in St. Louis game seven tomorrow night we had the good fortune of hearing Jack Buck's call the go crazy call for Ozzie Smith's home run Michelle it's hard for me to imagine that there could be a better baseball call on the radio than Dan Schulman's call of that home run 10 years ago tonight by David Freeze in game six of the 2011 World Series. By the way, we talked to Schulman a couple of weeks ago, and Dan's a great guy who's done a lot of baseball. He's done the, That was his first World Series. He's done every World Series since for ESPN Radio. And this is what Dan Schulman had to say about game six 10 years ago tonight. To be honest with you, it's probably whether it's TV or baseball, college basketball, uh, uh, TV, sorry, TV or radio, college basketball or baseball, that game is probably my favorite experience as a broadcaster. And, and I've been lucky to do a lot of stuff. That was my first World Series for ESPN Radio. And I remember the next year thanking David Freeze <laughs> and, and saying, I know this was pretty big for you, but it was kind of fun for me too. So thanks a lot. Yeah, can you imagine, Randy, that being your first World Series experience, getting to broadcast that game during your first World Series? Way to set the bar high, David Freeze. <laughs> right. And I still, I don't know about you, I, I still get goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now from hearing that call and from hearing Joe's call earlier. Here we are 10 years later. We know exactly what's going to happen. We're planning this. We're, we're saying, okay, here's what we're going to play next. And I hear it, and I still get goosebumps. When I hear Joe Buck say, we'll see you tomorrow night, it almost brings me to tears because if you're from St. Louis, you know what that call means. You know the relationship with his dad and you think about Jack Buck and what he meant to St. Louis. And that call is so perfectly St. Louis. It's a hometown kid paying homage to his father who meant so much to the Cardinals. And the call is coming from a play made by a hometown kid who understands what the Cardinals mean to St. Louis. I don't think you could have a more perfect call or a more perfect moment for our community. Absolutely. We've got Mike Drops. Where were you 10 years ago tonight? Here is Andrew on 101 ESPN. 10 years ago, I was watching this game at a bar in New Haven, Connecticut, where I, where I just moved to. I had to watch every single World Series game from that bar because I didn't have cable, and that was my only way of watching it. They almost, they almost kicked me out <clears throat> because the game was going so long, and I almost got kicked out when uh, Freeze hit the triple because I was standing on top of my bar stool swinging my hat around. Everyone got behind me because the, the game was so exciting, 
and I'd been there I'd been there every single night so uh, every single person started really recognizing me and getting into it so um, memory I'll never forget uh, ever thanks Andrew, thank you. So Andrew was on top of a bar stool. Danny Wexelman was uh, on top of a table in Columbia, Missouri at Big 12. A lot of people were jumping around and, and doing crazy things that night. I think all of us just had a collective happiness blackout. Sometimes your body just takes over because your mind can't fully compute in real time what you just witnessed. Let us hear from Chris with our next mic drop. So game six, man. I was in Iraq. We were about a couple months away from coming home from the end of a tour, and I got up 2 o'clock in the morning to watch the game on AFN. I swear to God, I, I probably woke half a Baghdad when Freeze had that walk-off. That'd be a great memory for the rest of my life. It is amazing how often we hear about people who were deployed. And, Chris, thank you very much for your service to the country. But isn't it remarkable how many people were deployed and listening to that game at 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 in the morning? Yes, thank you, Chris, for your service as well. But you're right, Randy. We hear from people all the time that were deployed in different nooks and crannies all over the world, and everyone found a way to watch the game. That's the beauty of technology. But Cardinals Nation runs so deep. You, you can wear a Cardinal hat anywhere in the world, and you're likely going to run into another Cardinal fan. And to imagine people erupting in cheers and joy all across the world watching that game is a pretty cool thing to think about. Here is Jen next. I was having some drinks at home, had some friends over, and throughout, you know, the game, every time that I went to use the bathroom, I uh, there would be hits. Cardinals got hits or they scored runs. So sure enough, you know, I was like, oh, it's a fluke. Well, not so much because there, you know, when David Freeze got both of those, those hits, um, I was in the bathroom <laughs> the last time I was in there on my own just because I had just figured out I was just bad luck. That is great for the St. Louis Cardinals and Cardinal Nation. Jen recognized, Michelle, that she had to be away from the TV and had to be in the restroom so that the Cardinals could succeed. She made that sacrifice for Cardinal Nation. I love that she says she was bad luck when actually she was clearly good luck. Her going to the bathroom was good luck. They say it's only weird if it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Jen, for going to the bathroom all the time. Right. What do we have on the text line? 65780. This one from the 636. The David Freeze game was the first game my wife and I watched together. She turned to me and said, is it always like this? <laughs> no, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> Imagine that being the first baseball game you watched with someone and they think it's always going to be that exciting and that dramatic. No doubt. This one, Randy, from the 314. We were downtown at a wedding reception. Of course, the groom had a TV there. Everyone was going wild and it was so awesome to be downtown. That is very cool that a wedding reception on a Thursday, Wednesday night? No, Thursday night. That's kind of, uh, first of all, you don't do weddings in October, folks, okay? That's one thing in St. Louis. Even now, 10 years later, you still don't do weddings in October. But I am glad that they brought TVs in. Yeah, rookie move to plan the wedding in October, but veteran play by the groom to have TVs yeah. at the reception. Yeah, better have had that. Let's get one more mic drop and then a couple of more texts. David has checked in with us. Hey, gang, I had a uh, two-year-old and soon-to-be one-year-old uh, who had gone to bed. My wife was in bed. Uh, freeze at the, the triple. I woke up the entire house, maybe the entire neighborhood. I'm not sure. 
Um, my wife was so pissed. I mean, I, I probably the most pissed she's ever been at me. If I just thinking back over the 20 years we've been married, but uh, I had Game Seven tickets, so obviously I was even more invested. So got to go to Game Seven, take somebody uh, that had never been to a Cardinal game before in their life. She was 61, 62 years old uh, at the time, had never been to a Cardinal game, so her first game was game seven um during the national anthem she started to tear up three dudes standing there with her all tearing up because she's tearing up it was pretty crazy so game six led to our game seven moment take care guys game seven being your first cardinal game ever coming off that incredible epic game six you get to go watch a world series clinching game for your first cardinal game ever that's pretty special and i I would say that the I can understand your wife being upset that you woke up the household when Freeze hit the home run. But then once you recognize the gravity of the situation, the entire area woke up their household that was sleeping. So I I don't think that there should be any anger here uh, after that home run. I would think the only anger would be that someone fell asleep during that game and that they were woken up and they missed the moment. (laughs) Right. Danny Mac is here in studio getting ready for the Danny Mac show featuring BK. First of all, it's amazing that it was 10 years ago tonight. 10 years ago, huh? Yeah. Amazing. That is. It, it seems like yesterday, and we talk about it so much, too, mm-hmm. because it's one of the, the famous moments in St. Louis sports history, and it, it'll be like that 40 years from now, too. It really it, will. Is there... A better moment in Cardinal history. We've got the Aussie home run. We've got the world championships. We've got the the final outs of World Series. To me, I'm 59, and that's the moment that sticks out for me. Yeah, for me too. Um, Aussie home run, just because Aussie was my favorite player as a young kid. Um, that that one, well, I was you know getting older at that point. But I mean, I still the Aussie home run is magnificent for me well and the, the it was my, tr- my true fandom right. was there where when you're in this business yeah i'm a fan but i'm still you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm not a hundred percent how am i trying to say this I, i've got i'm serving two masters so right, to speak right. you know i'm my fandom but yet trying to be objective as well but i i can't imagine a better moment than david freeze no. and, and then the home the, the fact it's a hometown kid and he did it twice and the other things that went into that game, right? The back and forth, the bunts, the the Berkman down to your final strike. I mean, everything that went into it, it was awesome. It was pretty awesome. That's what yeah. baseball should be. What do we have coming up on the show? Uh, gonna visit with Dan Schulman. I'm sure I'm gonna ask him probably about being behind the mic for that night, but he's uh, obviously calling the World Series uh, for ESPN with Eduardo Perez and Jessica Mendoza, so we'll talk about the World Series coming up. And also another guy that's had some pretty cool uh, postseason moments as well, Matt Adams, is going to uh, join us. And, um, you know, 10 years ago, those games didn't, you know, the first innings normally didn't last 45 minutes. <laughs> well, that's right. Last night was a long game. Yeah, we need a pitch clock. Yeah, I, I think it's going to... I think if players were honest, they would say it needs to improve. But the the thing is, you have guys that are throwing 100 plus miles an hour, mm-hmm. and that's how they make their living. And a pitch clock will get you out of breath a little bit. Right. So you're not a chance to kind of gather yourself. And uh, okay, now I can relax and walk around the mound and do all these kind of things to get ready to throw 105 again. You know, some players are going to say, no, don't, don't do yeah. it because that's my livelihood. But if you're talking about the betterment of the game, 
and I would hope everybody be on the same page and say, we need, we need to make the game as, as great as it can be for the fans. You got to have the game sped, sped up some way. There's just too much downtime. Absolutely. Looking forward to that show. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. You will be off tomorrow and Friday, so we'll talk to you again on Monday. Yep. Talk to you next week. Have a great time. Thank you. That is Michelle. I am Randy. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Dan is coming up, and Dan will be here in Emily. Yeah, tomorrow morning and Friday morning, it's Dan and Randy and Emily. You got it. Let's do it. All right. I'll be ready. Tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Looking for holiday gifts for less? Come to Ross and say yeah to making your dollar stretch on name brand toys, clothes, and gifts. Get the gift of savings this holiday from Ross. Yes for less.